Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to the first installment of Insightful Inquiries. Today, we are speaking with our good friends, Vic and Tony, who have been in various intelligence specialties for their entire careers. This month's discussion centers on teaching intelligence analysis, as well as advancing data science in the intelligence community. Vic is a career intelligence professional in the Department of Defense, Intelligence Community, and Private Sector. Vic has served as an analyst, a counterintelligence special agent, an instructor for advanced techniques, and now he is a consultant in the private industries. He loves to talk about philosophy, leadership, his passion projects in philanthropy, and cats. Tony is a data scientist and a longtime geospatial and intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance operations manager. He is a veteran of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, where he was the senior geospatial analyst. Tony has a master's in geographic information systems from the University of Washington. He has made a career of developing new methodology to integrate data techniques into standard intelligence and geospatial analysis, as well as helping to develop analysts to use these new techniques. His interests include the Philadelphia Eagles, running, and mountain biking. Now, let's get to the conversation. Uh, Vic and Tony here. How are you guys doing? Hey, uh, thank you, Kerwin. Thank you for inviting us on board. Uh, pleasure to be here. Doing great right now. Can't complain. Uh, so definitely a crappy day here in DC area. And, you know, what a better time to do a podcast, right? And uh, looking forward to hear what Tony and you will talk about. Uh, thanks a lot, Vic. I really appreciate you uh, taking taking that time out to hang out with us. Tony, I know you're doing great. The Eagles uh, last week, they uh, they got into the playoffs. They got to rest everybody for this week. Yeah, uh, happy about a you know rookie head coach and a not a rookie uh, quarterback, but first year starter. Uh, kind of you know some, maybe some stuff for the future. But no, I'm happy to be here. Uh, good luck to the Saints and bad luck to the 49ers tonight. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Please, who that uh, nation go out to, <laughs> to Atlanta? Get out there, be loud. Uh, L.A. This is the only time I will be a fan of the Rams. So. Do do not disappoint me. But so uh, thank you guys for coming on board again. Um, and, and I want to start with I was able to audit a, a basic intelligence course this past week. And the first question that was really put out was, is there a need for certifications for intelligence analysts? And I thought that was a good question to start with, uh, with especially with Vic, you have developed some courses. Uh, I know myself over at Bragg developed some of the courses that were out there. So what would you like to say? Is there a need for certifications? Because anyone can claim that they're an intelligence analyst. That's Are you a human analyst? Are you an eminent analyst? That kind of stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts, Vic? Right. No, that's very interesting, actually. And I'm actually very curious to see or hear about where if you've taken this uh where you audit this course, because I've realized that the world of intelligence analysis uh, is expanding a lot in the academia realm. And it's a growing, it's growing a lot, uh, especially with state colleges and private institutions too. They're actually offering this as degree program certifications. But going to the question, is this required or is this something that is needed? I strongly feel so. I feel that intelligence analysis is beyond the intelligence community itself or within regards to Department of Defense or even anything in national security manner. Intelligence analysis can actually be applied in a lot of business analytics, business intelligence, competitive intelligence. Uh, any of these, uh, any of these uh, sectors require intelligence analysis. And when we're talking about intelligence analysis, I'm not talking about going out being James Bond or going out being Jason Bourne and spying on people all the time, right? But we're talking about the best 
way we could analyze information to compete against you know, other sectors or compete against other businesses so we could, one, make profit, and two, be able to progress forward in the world that we live in today, especially the complexity of our environment. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think you bring up a very good point, Vic, because uh, in doing this, I know a lot of people think intelligence, when they think intelligence analysis or when they think secret squirrel stuff, it's always James Bond and, and you're going to go out there and be a spy. And that's actually a very minute portion of intelligence analysis uh, and I'd, I'd really like to get tony's feedback on this because he's been he's been in a lot of different areas in this you know in, in his military time and his contract time and, and that kind of stuff so what do you think tony um i i can definitely understand the need um with a with a lot of certifications out there and and at least being able to kind of put the at least at some level analysts on a you know, a, a bare min level footing. Um, I think you can run into the issue with whether it becomes, am I getting this certification just to have the certification and not actually being able to use it or apply it? Um, I think it's, I think it's out there. I, I said, if I was looking at someone, I would never, you know, down them that they had a, uh, a certification of some sort in intelligence. Um, like I said, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's tough to, to really make something I think that's, that's applicable across, you know, uh, intelligence into, into business. So it, like I, said, I, I see the need and I, I definitely, uh, would warn, especially people that are trying to get into, to more intelligence, uh, uh, you know, curriculum from, from non military. It's easy for us, right. All, all kind of right. learning. We're, it all, into... we're all military guys. I, I guess yeah, we should so... put that out there. We, we got all of our backgrounds, uh, in military, but I am seeing a lot of younger people who mm -hmm. are getting their sort of so, so they're getting their bachelor, their undergrad, or even their their graduate studies in intelligence analysis. And they have no background in military, and, and really the the one big struggle that they have is with the clearances. So my next question would be, um, where do you see the future of of sort of the education for intelligence analysis in regards to uh, the the length at which a clearance takes in order to fully develop and having people straight out of college who get all of these sort of the basics of intelligence analysis who are coming out and not being not having that government background where they can automatically get a clearance where do you think they fit in i Kerwin, that's an excellent question because i personally think that uh, the world outside of intelligence is actually more competitive for intelligence analysis and intelligence analysts. Um, I, for example, you know, not to just, uh, I'm not going to go too deep into who I work for and think, but I work in the private sector right now out of the intelligence community where the requirements and need for these type of analysts is actually on uprise. We've been uh, ordered or we've been told that we need a sample program that provide critical analysis to what we need to do in order to counter some of the threats. And we are noticing it in the world we see today where our threats from state, non-state actors, lone wolves, or even these little cyber attacks that are occurring is blending in beyond a world of cleared environment and people with security clearance, let's say. It's blending in into the world of open source data, uh, open source intelligence as well. So I, I honestly think that Pretty soon, the whole entire idea with having a security clearance to do analysis is actually going to be irrelevant. So why would you, why would someone go away from a, a sort of, what we would call an MOS, right? A, a mm -hmm. specific job in the military that is intelligence analysis. Uh, what would be the benefit of someone actually just doing it in college, graduating, and then trying to get into a, if it's a private sector or if it's even a Department of Defense or government type job? What, what is the benefit of going to college for that? I think the benefit is one, there's a lot of money involved in it. Uh, two, I believe that it is a challenging career field. It is a career field in which uh, challenges your, I guess, subjective thought process or better yet applies the objectivity of a certain data set too. 
you actually, it's not a position in which you have to be told this is your marching order. This is what you have to do every day in, day out. It's a position in which you actually have to apply your critical thinking skills and ability in order to make the final assessments for decision makers, whether that's in the Department of Defense sector or whether that's in the private industry, such as Amazon Web Service. Right. Right. And, and so, Tony, you, you work more as a data scientist. You're more on the data side. What would you, what do you see as the future of intelligence analysis as far as what happens um, in an education standpoint? So, so just right now we're talking education-wise, whether that's college or certifications. Uh, with your experience in the data sector, do you find that there's a place in the uh, data science sector that actually benefits an intelligence analyst? Oh, uh, definitely. Especially, uh, I mean, uh, Vic, everything he said is is completely right. It's a it's a it's a growing field, uh, and as the analysis, uh, if you want to call it the general analysis field, intelligence analysis field grows. So does the data science and, and data analysis fields are all there. Those are some of the fastest growing industries, not industries, but the fastest growing career fields right now. Um, and as even we see as a, you know, you, especially on the, uh, on the Department of Defense side, you know, there's that mix of, well, are you, are you more data science savvy? And, and, you know, can you, are you an expert programmer? You, you know, can you understand, uh, you know, machine learning models and apply all this stuff, but there's also a huge need for the understanding of analysis. I see it sometimes that people I work with great data scientists, um, but don't understand the intelligence cycles and don't understand uh, the actual, may not actually have a, you know, experience with the data they're actually analyzing. Um, and a lot of places, make up for that by having, you know, an expert and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this, you know, hey, this person is a, you know, the intelligence expert and they work with the data science. Uh, but as the, everything's growing and you're, they're going to be looking for people who can do both. Um, so I think that's, it's, it's growing. I think the, the education piece is, is a huge part of that. And, and any way that you can kind of learn the, the data centric side, as well as the actual, you know, the nuances of analysis is great. Yeah, so here is that's that's excellent, and, and I I believe everything that that you said. Um, and, and so the way that I sort of define intelligence analysis to to people outside of the community, and um, and that's a lot of listeners right now who are listening. They're they're outside of the intelligence community, maybe trying to find a way into it. And, and so I sort of describe intelligence analysis as it's it's sort of that fine line between an art and a science. And so I would I I pose that question to you guys. Do do you feel the same way, or do you think it's more of an art or more of a science in that regard? And, and I'll start with Tony. Mm. Oh, man, that's a that's a that is a very tough question. Um, c coming in in my preparation for this, I uh I kind of equated it to like investigative journalism. Uh, like a lot of times you're you're going in trying to find something. Uh, but you, but you need to have, um, I think there, there are a lot of science, uh, I guess science aspects to being an, uh, an intelligence analyst. Uh, but some of the best intelligence analysts I've ever worked with, it was more of an art form. They were able to, to, to use some of those technical, uh, you know, science driven techniques, uh, but able to, to apply them in, uh, in fascinating ways. Sort of like think outside the box kind of thing. Yeah. That's how I see art really. I mean, if you want to know more about me I, I see artists more as think outside the box scientists are more here's the hypothesis let's figure this out but uh, i'd like to get vic's feedback on where he sees intelligence analysis in those two regards yeah it's a it's a very interesting field itself and i think like this that's one of the biggest debate especially in the academic realm uh and when we were talking about certification same thing but i i personally think in, uh, it falls into the art realm uh, because just because like it introduces a lot of the methodology and the creativity, as you mentioned, thinking it's outside the box, uh, as well as understanding even on a philosophical viewpoint, you know, we're applying these thought process and it affects decision making. At the end of the day, it's affecting how we think and why we think the way things are. It's a true can be truly subjective. But I think when we apply the science aspect, that data, that information that's available provides a more objectivity to our subjectivity viewpoints too. 
if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes sense or I'm just rambling on now. But yeah, it's uh, no, it's no, that, interesting. That really does. That, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but it's a uh, it's it's truly an art form. I feel that, and you know, it, it not just because you have an intelligence analysis background doesn't mean you're a good analyst. Just speak. Just like saying, just because you were you went to an art school doesn't mean you're uh, the next Picasso. You know yeah, what I mean? No, I, that I, I understand. That's a that's a great analogy there. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's a that's a really good, uh, really good analogy. And and so I, I really keep pushing the what is intelligence analysis. Me personally, uh, and and I think I fit more into where Tony goes with things because I do think data science is is sort of the future of intelligence analysis. It is. Uh, and, and then Tony, you can explain once I'm done talking, you can say, shut up and you can start explaining exactly how it goes because I'm not really on the data side of it. I'm still learning a lot of stuff about it. Um, but I, I do see where data science really fits in to intelligence analysis. And, and I break it down like this. So, so when you're an intelligence analyst, you kind of have a hypothesis and, and you're trying to, um, go against that hypothesis. You're not trying to prove your hypothesis. You are trying to go down every rabbit hole that would disprove your hypothesis in order to prove the hypothesis. And I think that's where data science actually fits into. And I think Tony could, could talk more to that and actually say, hey, you're a moron. That's not actually true. No, I, I think you're right. Um, one thing, uh, just to, to carry it real quick, so I, th I think the weird part with, uh, you want to say data science and, and intelligence analysis uh, is that although you can, we, can, we can say right here, hey, the, the art side of it's very important. Uh, the science side is very important. The, the blend in the middle is very, they're all important. Uh, that's where it's, it's an interesting field and in that you, you don't want, uh, you know, every single person to, to, you know, be very technical sciencey side. And you don't want them all to be, you know, uh, outside the, well, I guess what you call the, you know, artsy outside the box thing. You, you kind of need a blend of, of all those ideas because that's where you can test hypothesis. You know what I mean? When you have someone who has, you know, one idea about how something is, they might be right a lot of the time, but you need that objective uh, outlook. And sometimes that might be someone who say, for example, 10 years in the intelligence dance in the military versus a analyst who, uh, who went to, you know, a, a traditional college and that's how they learn their skills. They have different uh, viewpoints and those, those mending, uh, melding of viewpoints is very important. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And, and anyone who's listening right now and is, is like, oh, these guys, they're just I talking actually, about. I actually want to yeah. challenge this hypothesis or challenge oh, go this for thought. It, please. Yeah, this is this, interesting this is that you stuff. brought this up because it's actually what the, this is. And I feel like, you know, it's all about red teaming ourselves and challenging our thought process, right? So there's a lot that I feel that data science is viable. And there's also a lot that the data side is like irrelevant because it's all based on what information we're trying to find. I think at the end of the day, what our listeners should think about too is what is, what is it that you're trying to find? What is the key intelligence question, your KIQ? Just because, you know, we have data and we have the art side, it does not mean it requires everything all at once. It require it depends on your requirements, you know, from the very beginning. What is the question we're asking and what do we need to apply um, going with yeah. that? Tony, what do you got on that one? No, yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, I mean, the I mean, there's of uh the, you know the data analysis cycle the intelligence cycle there's you can you can find multiple definitions but uh, basically they all start with what is your question um maybe you have an idea what that question is you know i i'm trying to prove you know a or maybe it's i don't know anything about this and let me start my cycle based on that but yeah it, it starts with right you have to have a question yeah to to go into that cycle so yeah so should we get into the analysis of competing hypothesis Oh gosh, that's such an <laughs> academic thing right there. And yes. I feel like, you know, I feel like this is I, for I, our collegiate listeners. I, I, I love this because like I just literally finished a whole semester for it. Uh <laughs> analysis of competing hypothesis and and it has its pros and cons, but I also feel that it was out it was dated back from the Cold War days. Yeah, the it was it was definitely 60s, 70s. Yeah. Um, and, and it's it, a hypothesis of hypotheses. Right, and breaking down more hypotheses from there. Yeah. 
And then, <laughs> but what I do like about it, and then I know that you're, we're touching up on this topic too, but I, what I do like about it is the fact that it does challenge biases. Yeah. Uh, and you could kind of extrapolate I think so, further. So that's a huge thing, I think. I, I mean, you guys know me personally. We, we hung out and, and we've known each other for quite a few years. So, so you know, as biased as I can be, I try to stay unbiased around other people. Uh, but personally, I'm, I'm pretty biased and I try to, to get away from that. So where do you guys see as far? So, okay, here's the question. How do you guys, because we all, everybody has biases, right? We're all biased in one form or another. So how do you guys, and I'll start with Vic, we'll go into Tony. Uh, but how do you guys get past your bias when you are researching information or you, you see a news article and you start to read it? Um, how do you push back from your biases? Great question. And it also goes down to the philosophical path of can one truly be sub uh, objective? Uh, so how do I get past my biases? I feel like one can never truly get past their biases, no matter what you think, because the answers that provide you these viewpoints to go past your biases are another form of biases, too. Uh, so we're, when we're trying to challenge yourself, I think the best output for this, and this is going to be based on other people's biases, now we keep popping this buzzword. Um, I feel that you have to be able to allow others to red team. When I mean red team is that to critique, to provide you con a consistent feedback. And that goes into the whole entire intelligence cycle chain too, where you always need that feedback to keep driving, you know, challenging your questions, challenging your collection, your analysis. So I, I personally think that one can never be unbiased because all the feedback you get will be biased. Oh, all right, good. Tony, what do you got? Um, I, I partially agree with you. Uh, I mean, I'm almost completely being honest, but yeah, the, I mean, the, with the biggest issue with bias, uh, say from a, from a data example, right? Um, a, a book that I recommend to a lot of people is uh, Naked Statistics by Charles Whelan. It's a a layman's term statistics book. It's a great uh, yeah. That is on a your great to, book. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. It's a it's a great uh, on your way to to work audio book. Uh, and he's kind of goes through you know uh, anecdotal examples of statistics. But one of the big ones he talks about is bias in data. Uh, and one of the there's a lot of examples he uses. And one of the best ones was talking about uh, how you're able to spin data to fit whatever your narrative is. Say I mean, which is basically a bias. Uh, and one of the big ones he used was school scores, uh, test scores. You know, uh, say there's two politicians running for, for office somewhere. You know, politician A can say, hey, uh, schools are getting worse. 60% uh, of our schools have lower test scores than last year. Another one could say, you know, hey, our schools are getting better. 80% of students had higher test scores. Uh, and it, based on how you're looking at it, both those answers can be right. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that, you know, the, the size of schools, uh, you know, maybe bigger schools are having, uh, you know, students are having better test scores. That's right. So it's understanding that his big thing was whenever you're looking at uh, trying to understand those biases is look at your unit of analysis. And this example, you know, one politician is using schools and another politician is using students. Uh, if, if there's two different ideas based on units of measurement, figure out why. Uh, and usually that's, it's, it's how you're spinning your data. Dude, first of all, how, how high of an ASVAB score, ASVAB score do I need to understand that? It's gotta be very high. <laughs> I'm an ASVAB waiver. So what that means is that I wasn't very smart. Okay. But, so, but also Tony, you bring up, uh, I mean, honestly, that is a great answer because it leads me into my next question, which is uh, part of the data, data analysis cycle. Um, when we're when we're talking about exploration, data exploration, uh, would you like to give some uh, maybe a definition on that, and then some more uh, feedback on that information? Yeah, uh, well, I guess to to hit that, I'll I'll talk real quick. The like I said earlier, the the data analysis cycle, you can find a million definitions if you go and look. But basically. Uh, as uh, Vic Luthor, you start with a question. Uh, you gather, you gather, and gather data, clean that data. From there, you, exp uh, you exploration, you explore your data. Uh, you can enrich it, 
you analyze and that analyze is either answering your initial question or developing a new question for a new cycle. Um, as far as what we I've seen so far within, like I'll use the intelligence community as, uh, as my main example, um, trying to you know get people to start being more data-driven thinkers you're you're not going to get you know your your layman's person to be like oh hey uh you know I'm, I'm now a data scientist i'm not there's there's a, a level where like you know i'm not having you know a, some analyst somewhere they're, they're usually not gathering and, and processing cleaning data usually the data they have is is prepared and, and their way to look at it uh so exploration exploration uh which i think is maybe one of the biggest uh the cycle is, is, I mean, it's as simple as it sounds. You're, you're getting a data set and you are, uh, you know, aggregating it in different ways, trying to find any insights you can, you can find. Maybe, uh, maybe you have a, a SIGINT data set with, with country location and you're, you're looking at it and you want to filter it by, uh, hey, these are all the countries or, or this, is, uh, this, this is the dates and just trying to uh, visually represent uh, trending. From there, you can actually use that to, to answer questions or kind of understand uh what data you that you have and you're using well that's so great uh i i appreciate that um sorry vic i'll, I'll let you get to it but i have a i have a next question because um you know we talked about we, we talked about the eagles to begin with and vic's not a sports person but uh, but we are and and i watched espn used to have a show that said number numbers never lie and, and i always got confused by that because yeah you can manipulate anything. So we're talking about data and you, Tony, you, you brought up the um, sort of aggregated data and that's what a lot of intelligence analysts use, uh, myself included, is aggregated data, data from different resources that's already been compiled for you. Um, but do you see, it, it, whether it's in the intelligence, uh, intelligence analysis field or anything like that, do you see where data is being manipulated to push a narrative? Um, I've, I've seen it. Uh, it, it happens uh, quite a, I don't say quite a bit. Um, like I said, yeah, back to the a, bias That's a question. relative term saying quite a <laughs> yeah. bit. Um, uh, but I mean, four times out of 400 in the intelligence analysis community is quite a bit for us. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll, you'll you'll have a lot of times people will, will you know, they if they have a question trying to answer and they really want to answer that question, um, and sometimes they can, you know, you you might have uh, all this data that leads you to one conclusion that maybe the question you're trying to answer isn't the answer you're looking for, and I've seen people disregard all of these answers, putting them one way, and using this one piece of data that pushes their uh, to to whatever that answers what the, what their question is. Gotcha. Okay. So, so when you say something like, not you personally, but I'm talking in general, uh, and, and you know what, I'll actually, Vic, do you have any insights into this? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting that, you know, we, there's a lot of buzzwords when it comes down to data science, uh, what we do in the intelligence community. And what I want to kind of highlight is that think of this way, we all use a type of service called the Google, right? Um, on the World Wide Web, the WWW. The Google machine, that's what the I Google it. box, right? When we are hungry or when we want to look for restaurants, we type in restaurants in Google. What that does is that it's a searching for all the data sets pertaining to what we want to eat, what we want to look for in restaurants. So it will just pull restaurants and place it on a map for you. That's all this data set. The next thing we want to do with that data set is maybe clean it up a little bit as you, some of the terms you mentioned. When we're trying to clean this data set, we're then categorizing it into particular restaurants we want. Maybe we want Mexican. So all the Mexican restaurants on Google map will only populate on a Google map that we want to choose from. Now we have just one category that's called conditioning, cleaning the data set. And the next thing we want to do is then analyze Right, we want to analyze the data we've already cleaned. So what we do with those Mexican restaurants is now think about what type of food they have, when are they open, using sequence neutrality, the time set, the timestamp, where they locate, how far it is from me. We're analyzing all this data and information to find the best Mexican restaurant to go to. 
And it turns out that at the end of the day, after we analyze it, we have to provide a decision for our decision maker, which is, I think Uncle Julio is the best restaurant there is for Mexican restaurants in the DC area. Not a sponsor. So, no, not, a, not sponsoring, but that's kind of like a quick anecdote as far as like what it means when we're trying to explore data, clean data. I put it geospatially references data and then analyze it in order to make the best decision we can. Uh, yeah, that that's a that's a great point. And it brings in all of the intelligence. You've got open source intelligence. You've got uh, geographic information systems and and uh, stuff like that. But uh, so this is this next question is going to Tony. Um, what happens when you don't have all that data from Google and you've got to use raw data? Uh, wh where does that fit in? <laughs> in the intelligence analysis process. So this, uh, to, to fall back to kind of what we are saying earlier, this is where, you know, for example, having um, your more technical data savvy folks to, to help with the, you know, raw data, uh, you know, wrangling is, is very important. Um, you know, every, every intelligence analyst isn't gonna be able to bring in, you know, uh, you know, three or four raw data sets and manipulate them in a way that they can kind of be fed together, at least at a simple like uh, level. Um, and so I think that that is where, what I was saying earlier, that blend of having those technical experts who, hey, my my focus is in data conditioning and data extraction from, from websites and, and being able to put this into a database that my intelligence analysts can use is really important. And I think that's where, um, it's uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, okay. I think that's right. where I think I think that's where the blend of having uh, professionals who are, as you said earlier, the the more art side, the more science side, and they kind of blend the middle. Uh, having those expertise and and using them all to their strengths in in one cycle is really important. Yeah, and and I would very much agree with that. And so let's get into basically. So we talked about is intelligence analysis an art or a science? And, and I think you guys can disagree with this, um, but I would say that we, we all agree that it's sort of somewhere, maybe not in the middle, but it, it's a blend of the two things. So then my question would be, you know, where does uh, using all of this information in order to either um, approve what your intelligence analysis is or discredit the analysis? Where do you feel both of those, the art side and the science side fits in? And I'll start with Bake on this one. Yeah, I think like, you know, when it comes down to intelligence analysis, if the data is available and if the data is something of useful, like if it's even viable in the first place, yeah, you can probably disprove and, and or even build more uh, credibility to the intelligence itself. Because when we are talking about data set, when we're talking about intelligence analysis, there's two types of intelligence collection and analysis itself. It's literal and non-literal uh, intelligence collection. And that basically is the difference between the technical and non-technical collection when we're talking about this. And when we're using the data sets that's available to us, it's essentially complementing one another. We're, we're complementing one side to the other, just like what we talked about earlier, complementing the art with the science, vice versa. So going forward, I think that it's best if like we keep a very uh, data agnostic mindset and uh, keep a very uh, like open holistic thought process when looking at intelligence. And that is the art of intelligence analysis. It's looking at information at a holistic value where it can be viable, may or may not be, but it's there for you. And when I taught activity-based intelligence, that's kind of the principle of what we do as a, in the more advanced analytical technique side. All right, cool. Tony, what do you think? No, I, I, think, uh, I think he's completely right. Um, I think the when when it comes to I think the biggest pitfall that we see sometimes with with data is again I say that to the expiration phase is understanding uh, some like the completeness of data. So, you know sometimes you know you might you might see a hey I see this trend that uh, you know every Tuesday 
you know, this, uh, this, you know, facility is inactive or, or, or something, you know, some, some, uh, but if you're also not collecting on that day, then that's where your trend comes from. So understanding that, uh, is like a big understanding of your data is, is, I think it's important for, for, for anyone. Okay. So what would you say? And I'll start with Tony on this one, uh, since you, you just started talking, but, uh, so how do we take advantage of these new technologies? So when I started 2001, um, we didn't have, I mean, the internet wasn't what it was. Um, we didn't have a lot of this data analysis. So what do you think needs to happen within the department of defense? Uh, so I'll say it right now, we're all Americans, right? Thick included. Barely. Um, barely. But uh, but we're seeing a trend, and you can stop me if I'm wrong, but we're seeing a trend where we are sort of taking uh, a back seat on the technology side within the Department of Defense. So what are some of the new technologies do you guys think we should be taking advantage of in the intelligence realm? Um. So I, uh, I know that Vic has some, some really great ideas on this, so I'll, I'll leave some of this to him. Uh, but I will say that I think the, we need to realize that when we start integrating new technology, it needs to be at every level. Uh, people love to use the AI machine learning buzzwords and, and, and have all this stuff up top. Uh, but until you build a data literate workforce, uh, it's, you're, you're, I've not for uh, you know putting the cart before the horse, if you will. I think there's there's a there's levels to to where we can start integrating some of these technology, and even if it's simple, hey, I can open up an Excel document uh, or Excel worksheet and and look at my data and, and you know do some simple formulas and understand it better. Uh, at least starting at that level, uh, I think is really important. And a lot of times we we want to jump so far ahead, uh, but I think it's it's creating this this foundation of data literacy for the for the entire workforce uh, within the DoD. I think is is super important, as important as you know those high level technology. Awesome, Vic. What do you got? I personally think that the Department of Defense is behind the way they are is because they're too caught up in the fact that they're they're trying to get the next promotion or trying to change out leadership and command within every two three years. Nothing ever has continuity. Everyone is so boggled and worried about the bureaucracy behind it versus the tech industry. And when I'm speaking of the tech industry, that's where I currently work in now, um, is that we are all about innovation and development moving forward because we want to make that money. The tech industry and all these other organization sectors outside of DOD, their return or their results is profit driven versus the DOD and intelligence community. So I think the Department of Defense is behind and will continue to be behind if you know we keep worrying about these red tapes and bureaucracy and everything that goes with it and i feel that you know coming from switching from the intelligence community side to the private sector side it was evident that was the case i was never ever asked you know by where i was always told by my current supervisor to hey bring your ideas to the table we want to see if this works and I feel that it's very limited in the DOD side of the house. So when we're coming down to technology and data innovation or innovation towards the technical side for data, I think that, you know, we need to reevaluate ourselves, not just as analysts, but as leaderships in these organizations too. And I think that's the only way to move forward. Um, I personally feel, I mean, this is obviously all my opinion, but, you no, know. I, is... I completely agree with uh, what you're saying. And, and obviously... Yeah. It is. It is an opinion, but um, <laughs> and, and for if, lack of if better terms, more people have that opinion. Yeah, we right. can make it a fact. Yeah, and for lack of better terms, getting our heads out of our butts. Yeah. You know, so that brings us right into the talk about uh, fifth generation warfare, and so I'll define fifth generation warfare for the listeners, and then we'll start with Vic about what he thinks in regards to intelligence analysis and fifth generation warfare, but. The definition for fifth generation warfare is it is a uh, non-kinetic military action, which means it is not uh, it, it is not influenced by weapons, uh, as far as missiles and and bullets and that kind of thing. But it is more of uh, social engineering, misinformation, cyber attacks, and artificial use, utilizing artificial intelligence in order to progress what you want to do as a nation. So where does intelligence analysis fit in in the fifth generation warfare? And I'll start with you, Vic. 
Oh, Kermit, I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna bring our listeners to a bunch of existential crisis now. We have but... all day, man. <laughs> uh, but on. when it comes to intelligence analysis and fifth generation warfare, I truly feel that we have to look at it from a more uh, on the information operations perspective. Uh, what I mean by that is that we can't look at it as a way we're force and force anymore. This is all about non-state actors blending with state actors, blending with uh, lone wolves trying to all disrupt, destroy society, not just a government, but society as a whole. And if we have to try apply intelligence analysis into this, and I actually wrote a paper about this for my final thesis, is that I think that you know we have to evaluate um, uh, social movement as a form of data set. We have to use social movements, uh, use like um, uh, something as basic as hashtags as data points to try to evaluate the mindset and influence that these influencers have. When I say influence, I'm not talking about your basic TikTok boot video influencers. I'm talking about, you know, your, uh, your politicians, uh, world governments. And we're seeing that today as we're slowly creeping into the fifth generation warfare, whether that's in, uh, you know, Russia and Ukraine, Russia and uh, Kazakhstan, you know, all these places around the world, we're seeing this occur. And I listened to your last blog, Kervin, uh, on This Week Explain, and you kind of highlighted that too. And, uh, and when we're trying to evaluate intelligence analysis, this is where we have to truly check our biases when we're looking at information now, because it's no longer counting tanks on the field or counting airplanes on the airfield. This is now evaluating information. So that's what the fifth generation warfare will hold for us. And to our listeners out there, this is, I feel like this is what keep a lot of current intelligence analysts awake at night at the moment. Yeah, uh, I agree with you, Vic. And then uh, I'll look for Tony for the rebuttal on that because I I do lean a lot on Tony for, uh, because I have a lot of bias on a certain side and and Tony is there for me to kind of take me back towards the center so that's why i asked tony now what's your rebuttal so uh i don't know if this is good or bad for you but i like i do agree with a lot of what vic said right there that's terrible Um, podcast (laughs) (laughs) so your center um, is me it's actually the center is me (laughs) but um to to answer the initial question though too i think intelligence analysis is is super important um i think the issue is that as as we were talking to in the last uh, uh, little portion too is is we're we're behind. It's I think it's it's that simple. Like there's there's so much other things that other countries are doing, and they're they're I mean we're not just getting basically you know lapped a little bit by you know industry in the U.S. Uh, we're getting we're starting to get lapped by other governments on on uh, something, especially you know your some of your bigger powerhouses. Um, and I think that's the I think that's why just like prepping the, you know, you know, the, the intelligence community for, for this, for this swing is, is so important, but it, I also know it's, it's really, I mean, like I said, we're all in the military. We know how hard some of those changes are. And I'm, I'm not even just simple architecture, uh, you know, uh, trying to do big data and, and distributed processing is, is tough on it within the IC, just based off of, uh, you know, the capabilities of, you know, of software and then, and, you know, just the red tape that goes through, through it. Uh, and that, that's where, you know, the defense community falls a little behind, you know, some of your private companies, because they don't have that red tape. You know, if, if uh, Vic, if, if, if tomorrow you decide, you know what, we want to do this and we want to, uh, you know, uh, institute some big data concepts, um, snap your fingers. You, you can, you can, you could do it tomorrow. Uh, the IC can't. Um, and now partially are you, you know, the, what you said earlier about the, you know, the, you know, certain individuals and, and kind of how their thought process is, 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 yes, that's a huge part of it, but just the, you know, the machine that is, uh, that is the U S government is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a slow rolling machine. Now it moves and you won't stop it, but it, uh, it's definitely slow moving to, uh, to make changes. Definitely right. a systems issue for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with, honestly, I agree with both statements. Mm-hmm. So um, in, in finishing all this out, uh, I, I'll pose this question. We'll start with, uh, actually, we'll start with whoever wants to, to start it out. I, I don't want to call somebody out to begin with, but if you had the ability 
to change everything, where would you start in the intelligence community? So if you were king for a day, what would you change in the intelligence community to compete with the forces of China, Russia, Iran, that kind of, those kind of nations? I think I would fire Tony. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad he fired you. I know, right? Well, I quit. How about that? <laughs> I quit um, before you quit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a pretty uh, tough question, to be honest, because we have to then reevaluate as far as like where are all the problems set. And I feel like that's a, a lot more topics for uh, more than a day or a podcast conversation. But as far as like if I was king for a day, I think like I would definitely yeah, where would leverage. You start? Uh, integration collaboration integration between each part of the intelligence agencies i mean we ever since 9 11 you know going back in history and everything we've uh, uh, there's been expansion of uh, different sectors different agencies doing different jobs but i feel like what the intelligence community is pretty poor at doing is leveraging the whole entire collaboration piece uh like we have to go on all these different systems to access the same type of intelligence to fill the gaps that we need uh, to one agency isn't talking to another agency. And I think we've seen this in our career field too. We have issues. We have to pick up the phone and call multiple people at once just to get the same answer. So I think like uh, if, you know, definitely leverage the whole interagency collaboration, developing a true fusion, not this make-believe fusion that everyone just keeps dropping the buzzword for. Yeah, so for me, fusion was a buzzword from 2002 and we, yeah. we still haven't been successful about that. But I'd like to get... Uh, Tony's feedback on it. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of things, but I I would really narrow it down to two two main areas. I think that would be if if I was you know uh, king for a day that I uh, one would be starting integrating some uh, you know data analysis technical skill sets at a low level, for, like for the military. You know what should be part of everyone's AIT? Some type of data analysis. Um, it doesn't have to be programming. But some type of hey, this is like start to to bring that floor up, and I would in, I would integrate it at everything. It would be at the AIT level. It would be at uh, your leadership schools. Like start start creating this data ready workforce, and then I would say this combination of leveraging the the private sector and what they're and what they're doing when when possible, and trying to get those people in. I know a big problem places have. Well, I mean, the money, uh, you know, what what you can, uh, you know, for military like a data scientist you can make a lot more money as a contractor or at a private yeah, company private than, they can, than they can as a military. I, I would love to see the military start treating uh, data scientists like they do doctors, hire someone with a PhD and pay them more money to stay in the military. Uh, so are start, you saying right now, Tony, they're not doing that? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There, there's, no, there's, no, there's no actual data science MOS in the military, you have some kind of weird, like, oh, well, you know, we're uh, operations research and all this stuff, but they're not, and even, but they're not data scientists. And I would say I would, I'd bring PhDs in. Hey, you're in the mil- you, you know, you want to be a, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the system it would be, but bring these people in, incentivize them to be in a position to actually institute change, not a contractor. We don't have that much power. Uh, but, you know, as a, you know, a, you know, actual government employee and start bringing these people in at the top level to start pu- pushing this change down as we start training uh, people. And so kind of push the, 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 uh, the change from both ways. Uh, but I, it's not a simple one thing we need to do. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to first of all, I want to say thank you guys for taking some time out uh, today. I know you both have I, I know Vic is a new father and has the most adorable baby in the DMV right now. She knows all about data science now, by the way. She's she's been joining me on this conversation, so she knows all about data science now. Thanks to Tony. So, (laughs) and and Tony's Tony's got one of the greatest toddlers uh, maybe this area has ever seen. Well, he's uh he, he's also been big into Math Party on Netflix. Uh, there you go. Uh, math. So he's, uh, math is he's hard gonna, for me, uh, but he's gonna he's, uh, he's gonna be a statistician here pretty soon. So so my final question is, uh, we're we're Americans, most of us. Um, where do you, where do you see the U.S. in regards to 
their ranking in sort of the analysis portion of the government. So, so where does the U.S. rank with China, Russia, uh, Europe, the U.K., those kind of things in, in sort of that uh, intelligence analysis field? I'm not talking about militarily. I'm just talking in, in a scientific sense. Um, I think we're uh, so I, I pulled up the stats, uh, a chart the other day where all of the industries and business and everything, we are number one in regards to all these test sectors like Google, Apple, Amazon, and everything. So when it comes down to uh, analysis in general, I think that we're we're still we we are up there. And when I say up there, I mean, like, if not number one on that field of the house. But the type of analysis or the type of information that may vary, you know, but I think analysis wise, We've, if you think about it, you know, our industry in American culture, we've been everywhere. We have our footprints and on every soil when it comes down to it. And we've seen different types of playing field and environment as well. So the, that's all information that fed into analysis over and over again, like a system. So I think like an industry business, I think we as Americans in, in our culture have made us number one that way in analysis. Tony? I wish I could disagree with you. Um, but I think I think we're up there. Uh, I mean, just look at the example of the military. I mean, even on the intel side, I mean, we they they train other people and uh, and other uh, governments and not governments, but other militaries and a lot of different things. So, I mean, and, and unless you're one of the people that believe that you know we're just out there pushing the you know U.S. values and, and all this stuff, but uh, but the, the fact that you know other countries are coming to us for for help and assistance with a lot of their uh, with their intelligence needs would show me that we're like, we're, I mean, we're definitely top three. Uh, I don't, I, I would argue that that, I, I have no data to back this up whatsoever. This is 100% bias. Um, but I, I think we like, we're, we're up major. So maybe we're talking about advanced technology, uh, at least on the military side, maybe uh, there's some, there's, but I think for pure intelligence analysis, I, I would have to agree. I think we, we've got to be one of the, the top in the world. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with both of you. We're, so, so Tony made a, a great distinction in top three. I mean, anywhere else, 100, uh, it's not 119 nations anymore, but, uh, but put us up with 119 nations, top three. You got to feel pretty good about that. Um, but I do, uh, I would push back that we have lagged behind. What does that, what does that mean? What does that matter? I don't know. We'll, we'll get more into that later in, uh, in different episodes. Um, but okay. So the big thing, and, and I won't put both of you on the spot, but I've made a prediction, uh, using my predictive analysis, uh, we'll go into the Russia, Ukraine, uh, information kind of stuff. And, and every, you can say, I don't, I don't care to comment, uh, whatever it does matter, but I made a prediction by spring Russia's going to invade Ukraine. And even with the Kazakhstan stuff that's going on. I, I still feel Russia's going to go into Ukraine slowly. Uh, what do you guys say? Where, where are you seeing the data pointing on that? I think based on open source research, and I've been kind of following it myself too, especially seeing a lot of Russian media lately. Um, they've had a long history of not paying their soldiers, going broke, uh, especially facing multi-front warfare in Syria and even in Central Africa as You're well. You're talking Russia right now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about Russia. They are facing a lot of multi-front uh, warfare all over the place. I don't think they have the capabilities to go into Ukraine by spring. I personally believe that, you know, the, with what they're doing in, uh, you know, right now in the current media and the in the Kazakhstan, you know, and especially in other places around the world, I think that's going to, that's going to put them on the brink and edge of, well, I mean, low troop morale, low economic issues, I mean, economic issues that's going to emerge, uh, internal, internal turmoil, protests within governments. I strongly don't think they're going to invade Ukraine by, or go into Ukraine, quote unquote, uh, by spring. Oh, awesome. I, I really appreciate that, uh, that pushback, Vic. Tony, do you have any comment? Um, I, I would just say, I, I think it's it's really tough because uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's not exactly the easiest person to read as kind of what, uh, you know, you know, we, we can sit all day and be like, oh, you know, based on, you know, 
troop morale or, you know, they might not, but he also has a, you know, a huge incentive to live up to kind of his campaign platform, if you want to call it that. Um, but again, with the push, with the potential pushback from, from NATO and the U S it's, it's, I, I, I don't even, I couldn't even give you an answer. You make, so your point about Putin is something that I, that started my predictive analysis on it. It was like, this has been his whole plan since the beginning is he wants the Soviet Union back to where it was, whether you agree with that or not. He, he wants to bring it back and Ukraine's the first spot on that. Well, here's the thing though. You can't do it without money. Yeah. Great That's point. point. Go, bring it up Vic. Yeah. Yeah. But I, mean... I, I and, and I would also argue, too, that he it, it also it's a huge risk of strengthening NATO if he does. So, it's, oh, it's, yeah. And, and so his, it's, it's his plans on NATO are so he, he pushes back against NATO, just like Trump pushes back against the U.N. Um, so there there is some uh, huge risk. It's there, a huge there risk are data to him points as there. well. There are. Yeah. Very, very huge risk to him. Um, it, it's only a certain sect of Ukraine that actually wants Russia to, to come back, and that's more of the eastern portion of Ukraine, closer to the uh, mm -hmm. Russian uh, Russian border. And, and we're not, sorry, to anyone, all the listeners, we're not just talking out of our, you know, fourth point of contact, out of our butts right now. <laughs> we've been we've been around there. We've, we have actually been a part of uh, pushing back against Russian aggression. Um, so, so we do have some sort of the data points on that. So it's good to get different viewpoints from both of you guys. I actually lived in Ukraine for six months too. So there you go. <laughs> during the whole entire situation. Where were you, were you Kiev? I was in Kiev and Lviv, uh, between the two cities. And then, you know, uh, basically advising, helping their, uh, counterintelligence support, uh, for threat so, and vulnerability so did you assessments. Get to interact with any of the people out there? And if you yeah. did, what... What was sort of their sentiment on Russia? Um, their whole sentiment, I mean, there were, especially, it depends where you, who you speak to. The ones in Western Ukraine, which are a lot of the soldiers that I interacted with, all spoke about, you know, they're very gung-ho motivated that they can definitely take on Russia. I think that it's one of those situations where that's all they knew. That's all they grew up with. Uh, the ones more towards like, in Kiev and anywhere east, I feel like it's kind of like, yeah, you know, who cares? You know, we're kind of middle ground. We still need money because they're still pulling a lot of resources from Russia. For example, telecommunication, yeah. uh, power, all that's being reliant on a Russian, uh, uh, the Russian Federation. So I personally think that, you know, it just depends who you ask. And I think at the end of the day, um, they, 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 might not be as ready as they think they are and at the same time i think crying wolf too in my opinion is the best way to get nato support so so do you see ukraine becoming a nato member or do you see russia successfully infiltrating ukraine and bringing it back to the soviet union um i think they'll successfully infiltrate ukraine by a proxy okay. uh what i mean by that do politicians and political power yeah but, but the generation within the Ukrainian society now will probably not allow that. So we, we can expect to see some more turmoil in the next, I would say, five, ten year, five years as a flashpoint where there might be still be civil unrest uh, within the people itself because of certain political decisions. But I strongly don't think that Russia will take Ukraine by force. Okay. Tony, do you have any? Uh, I, I would say if, if I had to put money on it, I would... I would lean more towards kind of the status quo right now. Uh, but if I had to choose one or the other, I personally would see them joining NATO before Russia completely absorbing. If I, ha if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think, I think I'd we're going to see a lot of the same. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I really, I want to tell you guys, thank you so much for coming on here. I know, uh, Tony, you've got Everest running around somewhere, and and Vic, I know you have a yeah, she's chilling a here right baby now, and a wife that right. <laughs> really needs you guys to focus on on those guys. So, uh, so I really do appreciate you guys coming on. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Uh, and I'll start with Vic. I would say keep learning. Uh, knowledge is something when, which you know nobody could ever take away from you keep learning, share the knowledge, and at the same time, you know, have an open mindset towards everything to include data. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Vic. Tony? Uh, yeah, I would I would say any, anyone who's interested in getting into intelligence analysis, it's a great field. Uh, and any 
same thing with uh you know becoming a data analyst and i would say anyone who already is in the field uh it can't hurt to uh learn to program <laughs> awesome any shout outs anybody any shout outs anybody wants to give mm, not really no, 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 I'm kidding. Well, well, definitely not to Tony. So, well, shout out Outside to you, Kevin. Three. Yeah. Well, sh- well, shout out to you, Kevin, for putting this together. And I think, like you know, your podcast has definitely brought in a lot of light to intelligence career field itself, and not just that, but geopolitical issues around the world. I've I, been taking. I hope so. I, I've I been really taking. And yeah. we try to stay, and, and we try to stay unbiased. And honestly, I to to Vic and Tony because I think all three of us are on different spectrums of where we stand in in geopolitics and stuff like that and so i really appreciate all of you uh refocusing me first of all uh in order to do these podcasts but uh, i really appreciate you guys coming on um and and i know this summer we're going to be doing much more between the three of us tony you got any shout outs no, uh, yeah, thanks for having us and not to give anything away, but I know you have some uh, some really exciting uh, content coming up here in the, in the yep. near oh, future, and I'm thank you uh, excited for, for it. Yeah, so we can't say anything right now, <laughs> but uh, by the end of the month, we'll... we'll subscribe and stay tuned. Yeah, subscribe. Please do subscribe, stay tuned. Um, thank you guys so much. And, and as always, what I always say, stay safe out there. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to join our private intelligence community at oakcoinanalytics.com. You can find Vic through his Instagram page, mill2bizintel, where he goes by the pseudonym Fursarn. Tony can be found on Instagram as at TonyAwesome, and he also runs the Instagram account at Dungeons Dads and Dragons, where data professionals from the intelligence community, who are also dads, get together to overanalyze playing Dungeons and Dragons.